navigating your way into the real world after school, college or university can be a daunting task. You might know what you want to do but just don't know where to start from or you may not have the facts to help you decide what you really want to do. Inasmuch as I believe that embracing the uncertainties of life is part of the process, I strongly believe that you don't have to dive in blindly or start from scratch because other people have been where you are and you can learn from them. Welcome to the School Leavers Roadmap Podcast, a podcast that brings you insights and first-hand experiences from different amazing people to hopefully equip you with actionable strategies to make informed decisions and seize opportunities as you figure out your life. Not only that, on this podcast, we debunk myths, review untold truths, and give it to you straight so you don't learn things the hard way because experience is the best teacher. I'm your host, Lyndon Sindano. Let's dive in, shall we? What is up guys, this is Linda here. Welcome to the School Leavers Roadmap Podcast where I make it my business to help you navigate your way into the real world after school, college or university as you make those life-changing decisions in a holistic way. Now in today's episode, I am joined by the amazing two friends, Moses and Samuel who are pursuing electrical engineering here in Russia. In this episode, they share with us their story navigating the world through the gap year after school, deciding what to do and where to go, applying for university, the interview process, adapting to new cultures in Russia, and also to other methods of learning and teaching. Aside from that, we also talk about stuff around mental health, imposter syndrome, and personal growth, which will probably be part two of this episode because I feel like it was very long. Now, if you hear some gems, you resonate with anything, or in general, you just enjoy this podcast, be sure to share it with your friends on the socials and tag us at the school image of my podcast, and I will be sure to tag you back and show you some love as well. This episode serves to help you make an informed decision when it comes to deciding whether or not you want to pursue your studies in Russia or you want to study elsewhere. If you decide to pursue your studies here, to kind of give you the information of what to expect, which you might not necessarily go through the same things, but maybe something similar. And if you do, to better prepare yourself for these journey that is coming ahead of you so you don't learn things the hard way because experience is the best teacher without further ado let's get into it so can you guys give us like a brief rascals or a brief journey about yourself from like when you left secondary school to how you guys found yourselves in russia did you try to do other things during that period from school up to here? Did you always want to come abroad and how did you find yourself here? So Moses, you can start. Um, first, first we were together in, in high school. We, we met sometime back in 20, 2016. Yeah, I actually met this guy when, <laughs> when I was punished. Okay, I knew him like that, but then we, we got closer when I was punished and then he was the only one who was helping me with the punishment. And since then, we became friends. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Then, when we completed what what Hillcrest National Secondary School in Livingston. Mm-hmm. And when we completed, we had that one-year gap. And for us, it was... For me, I did a lot of things in that gap year. For me, this night. I did a lot of construction works with, with other guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as it is. Somebody got to do something to survive. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Then we applied to a number of scholarships, mm-hmm. but some we, we were called, but we didn't go for interviews because they were like instantly, they call you today, they, they tell you come for interviews tomorrow mm-hmm. and you're on the copper bill, the interviews are in Lusaka. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, ah, no, thank you. I won't come. <laughs> then others, I was called 
but then I didn't do so well with interviews. And then the last one, mm-hmm. I, I, I told myself that the Russian, the Russian was, one was going to be the last one I was going to apply for. Okay. So, and Mr. Russia 2020, surprisingly, he only applied for that, or he applied for other things, but that's the time he decided to apply for the Russian government scholarship. Okay. And it happened that we were picked, both of us. Like, oh, okay. So, yeah, that's how we came here, hoping that things would be the way we expected. Okay. Mr. Russia or Sam, can you tell us your story? Yes. Um, like he earlier said, we, were, we both were at the same high school mm-hmm. in the Okay. Yeah. From 10th grade, I, I used to see this guy. He used to be my monitor. We never used to get along. I used to make a lot of noise in class, so he would always put me on the list of noisemakers. So the friendship wasn't uh, very well established. It was hatred. Like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, the one always putting me on the list. I'm, I'm getting punished. So we never used to talk like that. I just knew, okay, this guy is Moses. He's my monitor, mm-hmm. class monitor. Mm-hmm. Until one day when we were in... Third term, I think. Third term of 10th grade, huh? So we had to switch our class from, we had to move from the class we were in in 10th grade and move to a new class for 11th grade. But then the rest of our classmates didn't like the new class we had to move. And only he made the move. He went. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm coming back to class after break. Mm -hmm. Everyone's still in our classroom. Mm -hmm. And I noticed, okay, there's only one person missing here. But I didn't know where he went. But for me, I, I knew, okay, at the time, I was, um, you know, when you've been in 10th grade in a boarding school and the time has come for you to go to 11th grade, mm-hmm. is that pride? Yes. So for me, I was ready to go. I didn't, I wanted nothing to do with 10th grade. Yeah. I was, I was overworked. There was so much work to do as a 10th grade. All your seniors instructing you to do things. So when the time came to make the move to go to 11th grade and get a bit more respect, I was quick about it. So I just came back, grabbed my things. I'm like, if I'll be the only one learning in that new class, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Went to the new room. I found him there. So he was now a monitor with no... No follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> so we continued like that for, I think, close to a week. We missed all our lessons. Mm-hmm. We were just, the two of us, you know, in, um, in one classroom, just took it. And that's how we started talking. And I found we had a few things in common. He wanted to be electrical engineering. That's what I wanted to do as well. Mm-hmm. And from there, we decided building a friendship. So fast forward, we're in 12th grade, and people are now talking about studying abroad. And then you hear from your seniors, oh, this one has gone, he studied in Russia. This one studied in China. This one went to, so for example, Morocco. This one went to Cuba. Mm-hmm. So you hear all these stories. And so some people are motivated. And like, oh, I also want to go to Russia. I also want to. I want to go to China. Mm-hmm. But at the time, him and I, we had already made up our minds. Say for us, we either go to Unza or CBU. And that's it. We had no aspirations whatsoever mm-hmm. of getting on a flight going to Russia. We were we had so much confidence in just our local universities. We're like, okay, for, for us, it's either Unza or CBU. Mm-hmm. So whenever someone brought about the conversation of say studying in China, studying in Russia. The first thing that would come to our mind was we don't really see the sense of going to study in Chinese, for example, or studying in French. Mm-hmm. Why not just go at Unza and do whatever I have to do? I mean, yeah. I'm sure like science is science everywhere. So we were never really interested in like going abroad as much. Okay. Maybe to the US, but in any other country that didn't speak English, mm-hmm. it never it, it never crossed our mind. Yeah. So okay. fast forward, we're done with high school. We went back and funny enough. So apart from being in the same class, we also came from the same town. So when school was over, we had to go back home. We were both in Chingwana. Mm-hmm. So the friendship still continues. So when time came to apply at Unza and CPU, I think for me, during that gap year, if I took I took a different route. I I became a bit more more interested in, in, in church, like religious stuff. Okay. <laughs> Which is good, right? <laughs> Oh, my gut here wasn't like, no, I'm I'm exploring, I'm trying to, I don't know, maybe then new things about myself, what, what am I passionate about? No, mm-hmm. it was just read the Bible, go for prayer meetings, come back home. Mm-hmm. That was about it, I took. And so I remember at the time when the advert came out for Unza and CBU, I missed the Unza one because I was so, I was so deep going at some point, honestly, I think I forgot about school for some time. And um in my head, I was just like, okay, you know what? I think I've been called. I'm going to be a prophet. <laughs> that, that, that was it for me. 
I forgot about school for a while. Okay. When it was December, I remember I was just like a day away from the deadline to apply at CBU. That's when I realized I hadn't applied to any university. So I quickly downloaded the form, filled it in, rushed to the bank, made a deposit, and applied to CBU. Tried to check for UNSA if I'd already passed. So I was like, okay, it's either CBU calls me or nothing because UNSA is out of the picture now. I think that's right. So mm-hmm. I'm left with CBU. Mm-hmm. So did CBU. He moved to Lusaka. Okay, we we had <laughs> we had other um, we tried other things like he said like there were other scholarships mm-hmm. different types just some based on somewhere in the, within the copper belt some some crazy but most of them were in Lusaka. So at some point he moved to Lusaka. At, at the time I was studying on the copper belt and yeah I continued just with religious stuff and missed most of the scholarships the China one passed the Morocco I think Morocco. Morocco and passed and the others that don't really make sense. At the time, I had no passport even. Mm-hmm. So he called me, was like, ah, the Russian one will be coming up soon. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't that interested. So I started now pushing for a passport, got a passport. So at the time, when I got the passport, I was like, okay, now that I've gotten a passport, I just have to go. <laughs> because I can't just get it. <laughs> because I've never, mm-hmm. I, I had never put in so much effort in anything. Like, this is too much. Mm-hmm. I've gotten a passport. I just need to apply. So moved to Lusaka, did everything, applied, worked out for interviews, and everything worked out. Okay. So when you were thinking of just focusing on God and stuff, what were your parents saying? When they telling you, like, are you not thinking of going to school or something like that? <laughs> in fact, in fact, if 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 mom never brought up brought up the um, the issue of university, I would have missed the CBU CBU one as well. So. She asked me, she was like, ah, when are the names coming out? Then I remember, she was like, ah, I haven't even applied to anything. Like <laughs> asking me about names. That's when, so the next day I had to quickly go apply, do the whole process and submit everything. So, no, they were okay with it because, I mean, at the time it was just like, I was hiding under the fact that, no, I'm waiting to get enrolled when I had not even applied to any of this. Okay. So I was just like, no, I mean, a year from now he will leave home going to this point. They never really asked questions concerning. Sure. For you, Moses, when was the moment you changed your mind about wanting to study abroad? I, the time I changed my mind about wanting to study abroad was when when I realized that getting to CBU meant producing some documents that were not really making sense. For example? At the time, it doesn't even make sense up to today. Because, look, there's no way it should be easier for someone to get a scholarship than it is to get... um into a local university or something into a local in, than to get sponsorship in a local university mm-hmm. like it's way easier to to get a scholarship to come to russia to go to china because they don't need much okay they just need your results your synopsis and that's it mm-hmm. but to get to a local university you need and to get that hundred percent buzzer you need to to produce some documents like the death certificates and just in case you're wondering most of the people who go on buzzeries half of them their parents are still alive and they're working and the thing is how did they manage to get 100% buzzers if their parents are there and well? Mm-hmm. They're working, some of, some of them. Some of them are there, but they're as good as dead because they don't have jobs. They can't manage to pay those fees. Mm-hmm. But in my in my case, in my case, I was like, hmm, I need to get 100% because if, if I happen to get a 75%, I don't even know where to get the 25%. Yeah. And I thought about it again. I was like, oh, okay. Suppose I get the 100%. And I'll need other things like upkeep and and rent and all those things because getting a hundred isn't a guarantee that the university will give you the residence yeah so when i started thinking about all that and then just it was just like oh when i go abroad they'll be giving me a thousand <laughs> every after three months so why not mm-hmm. so for me it wasn't really about being moved that going abroad is like this cool stuff and it was more of how do i keep myself yeah how do i just depend on me as i go to school and do other things but in my mind i already knew going Going anywhere where they don't speak English isn't a very, it's risky. Mm-hmm. It was it was one of the things I knew. Okay, I'm doing it, but I know it's risky. I have a lot of challenges, but I have to do it because staying in Zambia, I might I might end up as a, as a stone dealer somewhere. So yeah, that's what changed my mind. Okay. Your story is actually similar to mine. Yeah. Yeah. In, in short, I would, I would say the government should really look into 
what they require for you to apply to go to a local university. Mm -hmm. There's no way they can be asking me to produce the death certificate. What if my parents died when I was, in, when I was very young and their documents were not properly kept? Mm -hmm. if, even though I, I can go to the court and get uh, something signed to say, okay, this person is telling the truth, but it's still a gamble. Are they going to believe me? Mm -hmm. Are they not going to be? And I, I couldn't, I couldn't afford not to, to be given that opportunity. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to. I'm a gambler, but not, not at that moment. <laughs> there are levels of gambling. <laughs> ah, that level is too high. <laughs> okay. So, uh, speaking about the Zambian buzzer, right? For me, I have no idea like how to go about it. So, can you please explain what happens? For example, I hear that you need to apply, maybe going to Unza when they select you and then you apply for the second time, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, yeah. what are the requirements for you to get the buzzer? Is it just like, do they look at your marks? What do they even look at actually? Uh, with, with, with the way that it is right now, mm -hmm. um, the, fir the, first, the first entry, the entry criteria is they're looking at your marks, yes. Because okay. like, from um, how, how the process was done last year mm -hmm. was, if you have 10 points, 10 points, six to 10 points within that range, okay. you get to see that. So that's like, okay, now you qualify. So that's, that's like you qualifying to be able to apply. And now once you've passed that point of where you, you, you have marks that qualify for you to apply for that buzzer mm -hmm. or the loan, then now you need to prove, you need to show them like what category of, um, what's the word? Like why do you need this or something? Yeah, it's like how, um, how, how financially, financially how financially vulnerable sounds like you've been abused or something. You're vulnerable, man. My financial status. So like they want it to be low. Is that what they want? Uh -huh. Yeah, so since, since they, they can offer you 25% coverage, 50, 75, and 100% mm -hmm. of your two. And so like for 50% and below, mm -hmm. you don't really need to submit any form. You just, you just go to them and say, I need a loan. And then you don't provide any document supporting, they'll give you 50%, okay. 25, 25 to 50%. Mm -hmm. You can get that one without having any supporting documents. Mm -hmm. But for 75 to 100%, that's where now people get creative. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever they need to do, just get that. Your stories really have to match because back in the days, it used to be that you go to the social welfare department. So the loans, higher education loans and scholarship board was working hand in hand with um, welfare, social welfare department. So the social welfare has to will interview you. And then since the social welfare department somehow, they know who's who, like in the community where you're found. They're not going, this, this one is coming. Supposedly, they need to have, they, they, they're supposed to have documents say, okay, this one, yes. This family, yes, okay, this one died, the father died, the mother died. They have to have all of that because even that social cash transfer everything mm -hmm. is under like the social welfare department. So like so they used to they used to work hand in hand with that department. Okay. But now now that's been scrapped off. You just apply directly under the loans and scholarship board because now it's like a loan. Mm -hmm. So they don't really they don't care whether mm -hmm. your story matches or whatever. Yes, I've and you pay back so they really don't care as much okay. so, but yes you have to have some supportive documents either your parents are dead or unemployed. unemployed or disabled somehow just have to be able to show okay, they can't pay the tuition and the support. so once you have those documents attach them with your results and then send them over to the center then they do the screening then they allocate either a hundred percent or 75 percent and then that's what you get Okay, but you can understand why people get creative because sometimes, even though all your parents and relatives are alive, it doesn't mean they have the money to support you. Like that one is the easier one. That one you just need to protect the, the parents. For parents, that's if they work. That's 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 the easier. One. Okay. If they're there, they work, but they don't get enough money. You can just get their best. You can say, look, my father gets three thousand. Where do you think he's going to get the thirty? At the end of the year to pay for my mm -hmm. institution. Yeah. Okay. So now when it comes to scholarships, you know they write that thing like you need to be taking viewers maybe if you want to apply for is it medicine and engineering? And also you need to have is it one to three? which is, I guess, distinction and merit, right? Yeah. So how much do you think that matters 
because I know some people who are taking science and maybe they have distinction in everything, but they are kind of stubborn and they want, they still want to apply because they feel like it's okay. So do you think they actually pay attention to that thing of taking viewers and the marks themselves when they are selecting? I don't think so. Mm. Because I think I've met a guy who didn't take viewers. Okay. Yeah, I've met someone who didn't take viewers and just Mm-hmm. What about after you have been selected? Do you think your marks still matter, or maybe they just matter when you're applying for you to be selected? After that, it's just your knowledge. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, it's like any any other thing that you apply. For. Mm-hmm. There's before before you get accepted and after, mm-hmm. like before you are trying to do anything it takes to qualify to actually apply and go through the whole interview interview process and then hopefully get picked. Yeah. It's like maybe trying to enroll yeah. the school. Once you get enrolled, say for example, you are in ninth grade, you go into a different school, you forget you about everything because that's a new level you're starting. Yeah. So it's the same here. You just need those, I don't know, one, two, three points, merit from distinction mm-hmm. to merit, just for for the application stage. Once that is passed, you never even look at your results or anything like that. You've you've started a new phase altogether. So like once you get accepted, you forget about your results, start a new journey. Did you guys face any challenges or make any mistake when you were applying for the scholarship? And how did you do with it? Uh, for us, for us, it was small. The, the application process mm-hmm. was very small. Yeah. I remember when I was uh, drafting my synopsis and the application letter, CV and everything. Mm-hmm. At that point, huh? I knew I had to get it right because the options were really now no. beginning to disappear. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> the little options that are coming by, I need to do the best I can to get at least one. So I remember I had to write write my application letter, mm-hmm. rewrite it. I, I think I wrote it like maybe five times. I, I read it. I'm like, okay, I, I don't think it's, it's not persuasive enough. Whoever will read this can't give it to me. Yeah. Until I wrote one that I read and gave gave to I, I gave my brother to read through and some some of my cousins to read through and they're like, okay, this one is really good. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, yeah, yeah. It, even when I read it myself, I'm like, if you don't give it to me with this one, then I know okay, whatever happens, I did it. <laughs> it couldn't have gone any other way. Mm-hmm. If, if this one doesn't work out, I'm not trying anything else because this one is perfectly crafted. Mm-hmm. Get me a spot. So I wrote everything and I knew okay, whatever is in here, whoever opens this letter and reads it just has to give me a call. So yeah, I had to be really deliberate and persuasive enough in all my writing. So like I had to read through time and again and edit it and then use it mm-hmm. to apply once and everything just happened smoothly. Okay. When I was applying for the right, there was, there was everything went smooth. Mm-hmm. But of course, it didn't go smooth because I was I did everything right at that same time, the first time, and everything goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And as I said earlier, I had applied to the Indian uh, scholarship. Okay. I was picked, but I didn't do well in the interviews, and I wouldn't entirely put it on the results for the interview. I would. I would also put it on the application that I wrote. It was weak. Okay. It was the weakest application letter I would ever write. In what sense? First of all, it was, what does weak mean? Weak means you're not producing the points. You're not selling yourself out. So how do you sell yourself out now? You have to speak from the heart. I <laughs> You have to give them a reason why they should give you the scholarship. Why do you need it? Stop. Besides getting the pamphlet and passing through those compositions you're writing at school, no, mm-hmm. my name is, I'm replying to what, what. Forget about that. The application, let it be as long as it can be explaining why you want the scholarship, mm-hmm. what, it would, what it would mean for you, mm-hmm. and let them know that you really need this thing. Yeah. So that when, when they read, it should stand out. It should be like, okay, Moses wrote this thing. I remember that letter that looked like this. It's... It has to touch someone's heart. Yeah. So if if there are people out there who want to, to apply and they have been applying, they apply to China, they are left, they apply to where they are left. It's because their their letter is weak. Your letter would drive the questions they'll ask you when they call you for the interview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, even just like from someone's writing, like if you pick like ten applications, mm-hmm. just from the way they're written, I mean, yeah, it's easy to mislead, but um, you can pick ambition from some of the letters. Okay, this one is. 
you can pick passion, ambition about some whatever it is that someone is applying in. Mm-hmm. And in some of them, you just okay, this one is like someone got a template somewhere, yeah. put their name. It's like, yeah. okay, how you just maybe yeah. go online, application for a scholarship, you get one, put your name, just edit it. Mm-hmm. Instead of just writing your own story, mm-hmm. putting it there. Yep. And then, yeah. So I know most of people would complain, say, no, uh, you have to know someone. Like, yes. Yeah, that's it. Probably. Yeah. Obviously, there's a hundred scholarships. Not all hundred will be given to people who know someone. Mm-hmm. Let's say 20, 20 are going, are already reserved for someone who knows somebody. Mm-hmm. Then there's, mm-hmm. still eight. there's still 80. Yep. 80 to fight for. Those yep. 80 will purely be based on merit. on merit. Like you really, if you produce something good, you're going to be picked. Mm-hmm. So they'll call you for the, in fact, when you're going for an interview, like it's more people. Yep. Right? So like yep. they'll pick anyone, anyone who submits something that makes sense will be called for the interview. Mm-hmm. And at the interview, now you solidify it. Like, okay, what you read is actually what you get. This is me. It's not like somebody wrote it for me. So here I am, ask me whatever you have to ask them. From there, they now just like finish the filtering process. So it's just, there's a way of getting these things. Yeah. If you just craft your, data as well and prepare your documents for anything else. Okay, so the synopsis, what do you think you should write in the synopsis? For me, when I was applying, I researched a lot, but most of the information I found was vague. Like it wasn't clear to me what I should put there. I feel like it wasn't really good. So for somebody who does not know what a synopsis is, what would you say about it? Synopsis is a short summary of your course. And it's that simple. A short summary of your course. So in, in a synopsis, you need to write what you know about the course. And the other, the other instructions are there. You have to write what you know about the course and why studying that course and how studying that course would have an impact on Zambia as a country or something like that. But the first part is just you um, explaining what if you understand your course or not. The, the, the common mistake is copying something from the Wikipedia mm-hmm. and just putting it there. You're not supposed to copy anything. Just from your own understanding, what do you think your course is all about? And why is it necessary? Mm-hmm. So you can, for example, you want to write a synopsis about electrical engineering. Of course, the first paragraph will just be like a summary of what electrical engineering is all about. Mm-hmm. Then the rest of it, you can you can spend the rest of the synopsis explaining why it is so important that you should study it. That okay, most of the people should study it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's why the focus should be. Okay. Now let's talk about the interviews. What would you say somebody needs to expect in there? How? <laughs> what kind of questions? How do you answer them? Like, tell us about yourself. That question is kind of. <laughs> So how did you answer it, you guys? What kind of mistakes did you make if you made some? Interviews are quite tricky. Mm-hmm. Each interview is, uh, is different. But um, the more interviews you attend, the better you get at it. It's, it's like, I think attending interviews is like a skill as well. Okay. So if you've never attended an interview before, you can, I mean, you can read a few things here and there and prepare, but... When you when you actually get there, the whole the, the setup itself might be psychologically challenging. Yeah. So, despite the fact that you're prepared, like okay, when they ask me, tell us about yourself. You, you may have already planned what you're going to say, but when you actually get there, like the the whole atmosphere, the setup might just really disturb you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have some psychological pressure. Yeah. yeah. When you get there, you forget everything and you just start a new script. <laughs> when you get there so it's like i think for me in an interview the most important thing is just like composure mm-hmm. like when you're there yes it, it, it's okay to be a bit nervous but it, it's more so how how well you're able to to communicate like what you want because it's like at the end of the day this what the board wants to do is like they're sending people out there to represent zambia as a whole so like they're looking at a lot of things besides your academic powers. So they know everyone who's coming through. On, the, on an academic standpoint, everyone qualifies. So they know whoever is stepping into this room for the interviews has the marks, uh, the marks needed to qualify for this scholarship. So they know when it comes to, academic, to academics, everyone who's, who's here today for the interview qualifies. So now 
the, the focus is most so on just you as an individual. What kind of a person are you? Mm-hmm. Just want to know about your personality, your interests, um, what your plans are after getting the scholarship. Mm-hmm. Like what, what what do you intend on doing with the skills you get? Why is it so important for you? And how do you intend on using what you get to improve the country in, in a certain way? And so so when you ask the for example, you ask the person, tell us about yourself. Obviously, these people read your letter mm-hmm. and they read your CV. Yeah. So already they 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 know the basic things. They know the basic things about you. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the other things that they really don't know that you want to bring out. Like for example, obviously yes, you you are good you are good at school. Mm-hmm. But then, like, is there a story behind you being good at school? Like, is it from your upbringing? Is it because of the town in which you grew up? Mm-hmm. Like, what is it about you that may, maybe makes you a bit more competitive? Uh, where do you draw your determination from? Like. What are these things that drive you? So like they're interested in knowing those elements about you. Mm-hmm. Not so much so, no, I'm from I'm from Chingola. I was born and raised in Chingola. I went to this school. Like all and of that. Born in the family of 16. Ah! Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> we're not so much interested about all of that. But we just want to know you as a person, the personality. So they yeah. so want to know, are you, are you focused? Are you someone who's determined? Like they're trying to pick those characteristics about you. So if you can effectively, I mean, there's qualities that you have that you really don't want to bring out. So uh, in in the whole excitement of talking about yourself, you don't really want to say, <laughs> I'm sure yes, like, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm trying to be honest. Like, okay, no, some things, just leave them. Just bring out all the good things that you can sell out there. So it's more so like where you, you, where you pick your drive from, mm-hmm. what makes you be this ambitious and why you love the things you love. So it's like, that aspect of you is what I'm mostly, mostly interested okay. in hearing. So just effectively communicate that. And the whole interview should be relatively easy from that. Once you know that first part, you already have the attention. So now when they start asking you the more obvious questions, it becomes a bit easy. Yeah. Yes. Moses, would you add anything to what you said? No. I would just like to emphasize that what, what they want to hear when they ask you to tell them about themselves isn't whatever they have read in your in whatever document you've handed in. Mm-hmm. So they want to hear something different. They want to hear, that's, that's the opportunity to sell yourself out. Like, what, what don't these guys know? What do they want them to know so that they can see that I'm the right person for this position? So you don't, you don't want to start degrading yourself there. You have to bring out everything, every strong personality you can bring out. If it's a scholarship, for example, you can talk about, I was in Jets, whatever, I was. I've done this. I've done this project. I've done this. Talk about your achievement. Mm-hmm. That, that question is a little bit similar to you go for an interview. You want a job. Then they ask you, why did you have to leave your your former job? Yeah. They don't. Obviously, they they don't want you to start saying, no, my boss was stupid. My boss didn't understand me. Those. If the moment you say that you you're out, yeah. they're not hiring. Mm-hmm. So they want they want you to bring out something positive, even from the boss that you left. Yeah. So it's the same thing, even with tell us about yourself, kind of. Okay. The common mistake you start reciting your 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 letter or whatever your family tree. We don't need that. Be creative. Tell us something that we don't know about, mm-hmm. so that we can help, so that you can draw their attention. And as he said, you can make the job easier because once you start bringing in the things that are already there, it would be some of them will be like, oh my god, what is this guy doing? Now? We already know those things. Yeah. So you've lost the attention at the at the beginning of an interview. Yeah. And that's not what we want to do. Yeah. I agree with that. So now you guys you qualify for your interviews. We are happy. We are going to rush. <laughs> and then you came. Can you talk about how your adaptation process was here in Russia? What are some of the things which surprised you apart from the language? I feel like everyone is surprised with Russian language. I remember telling the attaché that coming coming to Russia isn't an achievement mm-hmm. for someone coming from Zambia, mm-hmm. especially if you're coming here for education. Okay. Because I mean, we've we've spent I don't know how many years for those for those of you who who studied school at kindergarten till you in grade twelve, you spent thirteen years learning in English, mm-hmm. and yet when it came to those parts where you needed to write um paragraphs or something. For some for some people it was still hard because they didn't know what English they were going to write. Yeah. And we're talking about a language we've been using for almost 
the entire lives. Yeah. Now, moving moving from that and coming here to, to study in a very difficult language, like Russian is one of the most difficult languages in the world. Mm-hmm. Of course, not talking about Chinese and Arabic. Those are like on the next level, but yeah. one of those. And they teach you that language in a year. And whatever you're learning in, in, in class, when you're learning the language as a language, isn't so technical. They'll teach you how to greet, how to do what, how to do what. And then you want to be an engineer. So you enter a class and the only thing you, you hear is dress which are in Dasvidania and Damash is a dad. Yes. <laughs> you're accustomed to such ways. Then why are you growing as a student? And then she didn't she didn't seem to understand what, what I meant. Mm-hmm. And um I would I would love to tell people what that means, like coming to Russia. Is it is it worth it? Mm-hmm. Or if, if they were to ask me, would you would you a brother a brother stay at CBU Unza or come here? I would I would tell them without even thinking about it that I would have stayed at CBU or Unza and come in here. Mm-hmm. For the sole purpose of the language. Okay. Because you don't get to express yourself, the the, the drive kinda dies. Like uh, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. You lose you lose the love that you had for whatever you're studying. Mm-hmm. You just lose it completely. It goes. So you need to remind yourself that ah, I once loved this thing. So if only I can try a little bit, I might fall in love again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the challenge. The challenge is falling out of love with the things that you once loved passionately. And you just look at it like, ah, I wish I can run away from this. Mm-hmm. That's the challenge. Mr. Asha, what do you say? Well, uh, concerning like the adaptation. Yes. Um, there are many minor differences here there. For example, here, like back home, I, d- I don't think I've ever seen with my eyes back home. I've li- I lived in Zander for how many years? 19. Mm. A good 19 years. I've never seen a woman smoke my whole life. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Coming here and just seeing, like, immediately after high school, mm-hmm. you enroll into university. So, like, they really start university at young age. And so you see all of them smoking. The boys and girls, all of them are smoking, and so that that was kind of weird for me, like that culture of smoking. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing. Yeah, that, that, yeah and, and in terms of like another thing that uh, didn't make sense a lot was uh, the money, money, the money, yeah. like understanding. <laughs> that, like like when you're coming from Zambia, where we have we have a five quarter, ten, fifty, twenty, and a hundred. Yeah, and. <laughs> And so it's it's easy, it's easy to understand. Okay, I know what a five quarter means. Mm-hmm. Back in the days when bread used to be five quarter, when you tell me five quarter, I have some sort of value I, I'm attaching to it. Yeah. So when we came here, you have a one thousand, five thousand. So like back home, thousand is like a lot of money. Then you have this big paper, five thousand. So like I remember when we just first came, like we were just giving it out like. Like how much? Okay, here's everything I have. Yes. And give me my change. It's like the money <laughs> was a bit hard to understand. With time we adapted and understood, okay, I think, okay, 2,000 means this. Mm-hmm. 5,000 is this. 1,000 means something like this. So, so like, that was like, yeah, understanding money as part of adapting to like living here. Mm-hmm. The other thing was just the culture concerning like usage of drugs and Another thing was um, the weather. The weather wasn't it wasn't that hard adapting to the weather mm-hmm. because obviously that's need warm clothing and it shouldn't be that hard to adapt to the weather. So the weather was the easiest thing to kind of understand mm-hmm. and have the way around that. Then the other thing maybe would probably be transport. I think no, that was the easiest one. But it's not it's not as complicated as well. But yeah, just those things. Okay, so um, do you think there's something which can be done about the language issues? Because like Moses said, sometimes you might want to stay home, but the conditions which are attached to the loan or the bazaar are not I don't know, con- conducive for you. They'll pay your school fees, but you need other things for school, which if you get a scholarship, they're kind of helping you to get everything which you need, at least for school. Right. So you might end up deciding like, okay, fine, I will go. But now you have this language thing. How can you like equip yourself, I guess, so that you don't face as much challenges when you come? 
can we find a way to get through this situation? Or everyone who is going to become is just going to be suffering. There's a way. I I think there's a solution, but that solution only exists to me. But if it can be adopted, mm-hmm. then it can be okay. Let's say instead of we know that we bring people to Russia every year. Yeah. That's like a well-established fact. Mm. Instead of choosing people in their gap year, why not choose them before they write exams? Like, okay, not really choosing them as a final pick, mm-hmm. but you, you do the first selection okay. before people complete their education. So that w- those you pick should start learning the language even before they, they graduate high school. And you give them you give them like a goal in terms of grades, what, what grades they would need to actually proceed to the next select to the next stage in the selection process. Mm-hmm. But the first thing is you, you let them know that you are selected in this year. Okay. You are among the people who will go to Russia. But you won't go obviously if you fail if you fail this subject. But we're just selecting you so that you can take your language studies seriously. They may have like three years of studying Russian before coming to Russia or studying Chinese before going to China. And that's the same thing Chinese people do before coming to Russia. They, they, they study Russian language for two years before they come here. So if they do what fuck, that means they have studied the language for three years. But I mean, Chinese will always be Chinese. But if the Zambian was given, <laughs> was given such an opportunity, I think mm-hmm. they would do very good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like in them, the sounds, mm-hmm. that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. They, it's kind of difficult for them to pick up the sounds and pronounce it. But if a Zambian was given three years of learning mm-hmm. Russian with the sole purpose of coming, mm-hmm. do extremely well. That's actually a good idea. That's what I think. I don't know what Mr. Asha would, 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 would think of this. What do you think? Uh, when, it, when it comes to the language, mm. I'm aware that um, in ninth grade, Eighth grades thereabout. Okay. There's some people who have like French as a subject. Eh? Yeah. I don't know what the whole purpose of teaching French in Zambian schools is. Mm-hmm. I, I just know it's part of the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So you can take French as a subject in eighth grade, ninth grade. I don't know if you can take it in tenth grade. Yeah. So so there's that I don't know why they managed to put French as a subject in our curriculum. Mm-hmm. And that was the only language. For, for whatever reasons. I don't know if they had plans of sending people to France. <laughs> it was just for, I don't know what the, the, the idea was. Mm-hmm. And so if, if they managed to do that for French, they, they can manage to do it for Chinese, for Russian language, and for maybe Arabic. So it's like you, you look at where are you sending where, where are you sending your people? Yeah. Okay, we're sending our people, most of our people are going to China. Mm-hmm. Then Chinese. Yeah, someone can take Chinese as an option. Mm-hmm. Someone can take Russian language as an option. Mm-hmm. Someone can take French and all of these languages. So, like, you put, you bring in these subjects and include them as part of some of the options people can take for. Yeah, that's a good idea. For, yeah, yeah. You don't just put it out there. You also need to emphasize the fact that we, we put this thing here because mm-hmm. you have an opportunity to go to Russia. You have an opportunity to go to China. So, if you're interested in going to these other countries, we strongly recommend that you start taking these subjects as the options now. Yeah. Yeah. Not just like idle. They're just there. Mm-hmm. People want to know the reason. Yeah. Because here in Russia, I think they learn foreign languages. You have to choose one when they're still in school. You have to choose one if it's English or French or something or German languages. So if they put it in our curriculum, I think it would be good. But again, we know our government is kind of slow. So if you are listening to this and you want, you can start by yourself. Like you can use YouTube or something. So that even from there, you can kind of decide like, okay, maybe Russian is not for me. You don't apply. Or if you want to continue, go ahead. Right? Yes. So what are some of the resources which helped you with the language itself? How? I mean, I'm sure by now your Russian must have improved. So now you knew that, okay, Russian is very difficult, but we still need to learn it from school, right? So what did you do to help yourselves personally? YouTube, mm-hmm. music. I, 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 I would have loved to see movies right now, but I have never watched a movie. <laughs> but I know it's one of the ways <laughs> you can actually <laughs> improve your, your. I I tried once. I watched mm-hmm. a series Russian. Okay. But it was back then when I was just learning. Mm-hmm. But mostly it's YouTube and music. Okay. What about for you, Mister? 
I I tried a lot of things, huh? mm-hmm. and uh, most of them didn't um, didn't work, didn't didn't do what I thought they would do for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought they would, of course, the the whole goal is like to get better than that. So um, you know, when you just start learning a new language, there's like obviously you have a, a rough idea of saying, okay, this is where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And so when you start watching the movie one of two things will happen. It's either you just get frustrated that you're not getting anything from the movie and that's... You want to watch it? Yeah, when that happens, it will be very hard like to ever want to watch a movie again. Mm-hmm. So I tried songs and with songs, I realized that the only thing that was happening was uh, I was building up these words in my head that I really didn't want. Like, it's like you, you, you know all the words in the chorus, but you don't really know what they mean. So it's just like you're just... Um, it, just training your yeah, it's like you're just training to hear, but, but you don't understand. Yeah, you don't really understand what it is you're doing. But I I used to use this app called Duolingo, mm-hmm. so that one that one was a bit, that one was quite helpful. Mm-hmm. The app and um, yeah, from time to time you might you you try to read something. Sometimes it just frustrates you. you stop. Yeah, but I think just just. From reading, reading some some kinds of text and the Duolingo app mm-hmm. for me is a bit more helpful. Okay, now let's talk about what you are studying: electrical engineering, right? What are some of the high school subjects and A-level subjects? Do you think can really help you? When you want to study electrical engineering, you have to take physics, mm-hmm. religious, okay. public, because <laughs> ah, without physics, yeah. and in in math, in, in you have to take mathematics mm-hmm. and physics, okay, religious. Don't study them just for studying them. Mm-hmm. Study them with the aim of understanding. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's one thing to just read through the physics book and, and memorize formula. Now math is equal to whatever, but can you really? Think of, can you think outside the box and think, what if they gave me something that was not suggesting that I need to use this thing? Can I even think of a way I could miraculously just land on this thing? Mm-hmm. Because most of the questions they ask, <laughs> you, won't, you won't believe you need to apply what <laughs> you need to apply what you already knew. You'll be like, what? You feel dull. That's the moment when you feel dull because you know the thing you're supposed to mm-hmm. do, but you just didn't know that you could apply it there. That means you are lacking in understanding. Mm-hmm. So yeah, one of the subjects people need to really take seriously if they ever wish to pursue any engineering course mm-hmm. is physics and mathematics. Mathematics, I mean, not the way we used to learn it in Zambia. Mm-hmm. Like in Zambia, we were like, if I can solve, then I'm good at math. But here they they, they, they want you to know the theory, mathematics, because I think sometimes when you, when you know the theory, mm-hmm. you it's almost Sometimes it's intuitive that, uh, okay, maybe I can apply it also in this area and in this area when you look at the theory. Mm-hmm. But when you just look at the solving part, it won't give you the insight in other areas where you can apply the thing. So math and physics, studying them seriously, not just to pass the ECZ exam. Those are the main ones. Yeah. Do you think math as a syllabus, do you think it's enough or you need to take additional mathematics? You need, you need to take more Okay, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> no, like, check. Additional mathematics is simpler than syllabus D. Mm-hmm. When you look at the, the topics clearly, mm-hmm. syllabus D has everything. Yeah. Then additional mathematics claims to add what they left yeah. on top of some topics in syllabus D. So forget, forget whatever they call additional mathematics and just focus on the mathematics and study whatever it is with those topics in syllabus D. Then you have the combination of what we call the ordinary mathematics and the additional mathematics. Yeah, that makes sense. In a sense, there's no difference between additional mathematics and ordinary mathematics, except we don't just go deep on not doing ordinary mathematics. Okay. How well are you supposed to know calculus? <laughs> on a scale of 1 to 10. <laughs> ten. <laughs> Maybe 11. <laughs> yeah, I think 11. Or two. <laughs> okay. Uh, for example, not that calculus they teach in Zambia where they teach you four, four ways of differentiating. No, mm-hmm. there are more ways. Find them. Not differentiating. Integration. Integration, they want to teach you a few things. Like, 
That is not even calculus. It doesn't qualify to be called calculus. Mm -hmm. There's more to it. So uh, I'm sorry to say this, but if you are taking additional mathematics and you think you know a lot of mathematics, my friend, yeah. you have to revisit your... You have to throw that book and find another book. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because people who take advice, they feel like you know a lot of stuff. So I'm surprised. <laughs> no, 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 no. I thought so too. Speaking from experience, I had the one in, ad in additional mathematics. Mm -hmm. And I came here and I was humbled. I'm actually humbled. Because... <laughs> 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 mathematics is just good. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, it's a good subject to have when you're in high school. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's um, it's 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 like being it's like being in the army and having just one additional rank above the other. Mm -hmm. So like whilst you're still in high school, it means something. Yeah. It's like obviously in the high school setting, you have a better standing. Yeah, when it comes to math, compared mm -hmm. to the others who are just taking syllabus because you're doing it as well. And on top of that, yeah, you have this other math. That you're doing. Yeah. When you're still in high school, yes, it means a lot. But outside high school, ah. Doesn't doesn't count for anything. Mm -hmm. Okay, that is new to me. Okay, now what does a busy day in the life of you guys as students look like? Like, what do you do? Do, you do labs or something for according to the course which you are studying? Busy day looks like this. Day we start at ten and end at eighteen. All that time we sit in class. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it depends on the day. There are days when you just you're just solving. In solving, 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 and solving until mm -hmm. you know. And then there are days when I just do it and listening, listening, and listening until you know. Okay. And then there are days when you have to be measuring, measuring, measuring. Okay. What are some of the things about the Russian education system which you think everyone who is considering to come here should know? Which are not very common, especially in some. Like, for example, I don't know for engineering courses, but in medicine, I don't think we ever write for the exam. So far, I've never taken an exam where I need to write. You just go and explain. Which was very new for me. I wish I knew that, but I didn't know. How is it for you guys? It's, uh, it's similar. Mm -hmm. It's similar. Obviously, you write down something, but then there's this whole defending thing. Yes. Yes. I don't, so... Uh, back home mm -hmm. you can you can get away with you can get away with not knowing what you're doing because if you can just write the answers mm -hmm. the teachers are interested in you writing down something on a piece of paper they carry it home go and mark and bring it back after like a week yeah let's give you your mark mm -hmm. you know, here's what you got you got this this was wrong this was right this was wrong. Mm -hmm. but here you're done there and then the same day you submit it the teacher goes through it asks questions concerning some of the things you've written there mm -hmm. and just some of the things that were not even part of your question. Yeah. So like some things would just be a bit more random. And so, yeah, I think that in comparison to what's back home where you just write a test, mm -hmm. if you pass a test, it's done. Here you write a test, you can pass a test or not not really test. You can pass the, the writing right. aspect of it. Like you write the correct answers, but then when you're asked some questions here and there, it proves, say, how are you able to write these answers? So it like raises questions. Yeah. It's a good company to add to. To our education system. Back home, you write a test, everyone writes the same test. So it's like when you fail a test and some students pass the test, it's easy, we, we can easily draw a conclusion. Mm -hmm. Say, okay, you just didn't prepare enough. Yeah. How come others pass the same test? Mm -hmm. Here, when you get there, you pass or fail the test, it's hard to draw a conclusion. But sometimes, because of the variance, mm -hmm. somebody might get slightly easier questions than yep. is answering a different set of questions. Mm -hmm. And so depending on what you get, your exam might just be harder than the next person to you. Yeah. And so I, in the sense of trying to prevent people from, you know, copying from each other is a good is a good way of setting up exams. But in from an aspect of, is it a really fair way of examining a set of students? Uh, no, really. because the questions are not equally weighed. Like, yeah, some set some sets of questions are harder than, mm -hmm. than others. Yeah, yeah, but it's a it's a good way. Mm -hmm. It's a good way. So the whole where you have each one having a different set of questions, mm -hmm. and then having an oral exam at the end of it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that I think 
it's something that can be introduced even back home. Okay. It's not something hard to implement. So yeah, I think that would be beneficial. So having stayed in Russia for a few years, what would you say are the pros and cons of studying in Russia specifically and abroad in general, which someone should consider before even deciding to apply? To make peace with the fact that you won't be as competent as other engineers who studied in Tobacco if you graduate as an engineer. Mm-hmm. At least for the first few years of your, your career. Mm-hmm. If I graduate today, I don't expect to be on the same level with someone who graduated today from Monza or CBU. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. Yeah. I'll, I'll kind of consolidate the information that I have once I start working. But if I just stay home, I might as well stop calling myself an engineer and just call myself a technician or any other thing out there that I can call myself. Okay. That's one disadvantage. The advantage is that if you know you don't, you didn't really understand what you are doing, you still have an idea of what it is the other people at home don't know. Yeah. So there's, there's exposure, but you're exposed to the things. Even though you're not understanding these things, but at least you are aware of their existence. Mm-hmm. So even when, you want, even when you want to learn about more things, you would be learning on your own, you would be learning things that you are obviously supposed to learn here. Mm-hmm. But since you missed because of the when you're home in your free time, you'll be learning the things that are that are more, more advanced because you know they are there. Mm-hmm. But people at home, they will stick to their books, the books that were written a thousand years ago. They will stick to those, and that's as far as the imagination can go. Yeah, Mr. Rasha, what do you say? I think an important thing to consider when it comes to trying to weigh in the pros and cons of like studying in Russia or abroad, understanding that being in university or in college mm-hmm. is more so it's a wide experience. Like the academic aspect of it is like at the at the center mm-hmm. at the center of it all. But then there's other thing. When it comes to like studying here in Russia, I'd say in terms of character as a person, yeah. like there's, there's many things that would to maybe if you go back home. Like there are some things about you that are like the way you see things, mm-hmm. the way you think about things, how you value things. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot that about you as a person. Yeah. Away from academics. Mm-hmm. Of course, yes, you followed school mm-hmm. quite okay. You get your qualifications and that aside. Mm-hmm. But as a person, there's many things, there's many things that occur. So for example, here, um, when it comes to like the way people share information, like regarding school itself. So you find that people are more open to like just share materials like that. Yeah. Whereas back home, like we value having, so if I know I'm the only one in campus with this book, this, I have this physics book and I know this book holds the secrets. <laughs> no one in campus will ever touch that. So like, the, so, so like here, yes, the competition is there, but regardless of information at level so it's like you get to a point where you realize okay you know what if i have something that anyone can benefit from concerning a particular subject or maybe some lab that we have to do you just pass it on because you know okay even when the next person has something that will try to make our work easier they'll pass it on and so like you learn how to work better as a group mm-hmm. even though it's a competitive environment so like there's that aspect yeah then obviously having left home you go in a faraway country and you're living there and pursuing your university education from there. Mm-hmm. There's many other things that you are learning as well. Like for example, since you are far away and like you have money, so like, like there's how you plan. Like planning is something that you have to learn as well. Mm-hmm. So like somebody who's back home may not really attach a huge level of importance towards like budgeting and planning how they spend their money. Mm-hmm. And because they know if something something does if i run short or anything like that i'm going home i'll just run home get on a bus i'm home i complain here there i'm given something to stretch me for the next two weeks Mm -hmm. like you you can quickly just you know run for help yeah so when you're away you become a bit more cautious okay i I need to have a proper plan Mm -hmm. so i have x amount of money i wanted to keep me for x amount of time how do i do that Mm -hmm. what what 
how do I need to prioritize in terms of like creating my budget and all of that. So so like there's these many skills that you're learning outside academics mm-hmm. as a person. Yeah. So apart from working working better as a group in a, in a competitive environment with regards to sharing information and learning how to plan, another big one would be even just discovering how how you would act when placed under certain circumstances. Yep. You also learn that it's just like you are in school, but you also become a subject. You're your your own subject, except you won't take an exam for it, of course. But you begin to to realize a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alright, so that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you guys for staying with us all the way through to the end. Because in this period you might as well be watching Netflix, might as well be watching YouTube might as well be doing all the things but you decided to stay with us all the way through to the end so thank you so much for stopping by subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast directory as you wait for part two of this episode to drop next week friday 8 p.m moscow time and 7 p.m central african time thank you guys and i'll hear from you in the next episode peace